0: This morning, I want to get right into our word this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about why I'm doing this this morning. A few weeks ago on Wednesday night, I taught uh, uh, a uh, message. I taught on this topic. And uh, as I was, when I went back to the office and you know, kind of put my stuff down and was getting ready to, to go home, I sensed that God began to speak to my spirit and tell me that he wanted me to preach this today. I don't normally do Sunday night, I mean, excuse me, Wednesday night teachings. I don't normally do, again, nothing wrong with that, but I just typically don't do that. I do a Wednesday night and I do Sundays and they're different to me. But the Lord just really spoke to my heart and, and confirmed that I needed to preach this message today. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, I'm, how many have ever asked that question before? Yeah, mo- most of us here probably have asked that many, many times um, in fact, probably the most common question that people ask today is that very question, why do bad things happen to good people? And so, we, we're going to kind of delve into that and talk about it. So, Psalm chapter 10, uh, let's look at verse number 1. I'm just going to read one verse of Scripture. And this is a Psalm of David. And he asks, why do you, now, notice this, remember, Psalms are therapeutic letters, Okay. Their therapeutic letters, they normally start out with a complaint. They normally start out with expressing. If you've ever gone to a therapist, they might tell you, well, you need to journal. You need to write down how you feel. Well, that to me is what Psalms is all about. So the psalmist writes down, and notice what he does. He starts off by asking the question, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Good question, right? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? May the Lord add His blessing to His Word this morning. Again, why do bad things happen to good people? Have have you ever asked that question? Anybody here ever asked that? I mean, again, it's okay to be honest uh, this morning. Have you ever asked that question? I'll be honest with you. I have asked that question many, many times throughout my lifetime. I've asked that question. Some, some people have even called this question the Achilles of Christianity. Uh, other people have called it the problem of evil. How does all of that work in? George Barna one time, uh, pollster, uh, did a pollster, asked the question, and his question was this. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? You ever thought about that? that that's, pretty, that's pretty massive. If you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? And, and as you can imagine, the answers came in. The top response... To that question was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Listen, I can't think of anything more universal to the human experience than suffering. Again, if you came to be encouraged this morning, you're going to be, but I'm going to give you a dose of reality, because in the world, you're going to have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have difficulty. In the world, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain, there's going to be inequities, and there's going to be unfairness. It's happening. And it's going to happen. So, again, I'm not here to be a. Uh, I don't want to say Debbie Downer because some people might be named Debbie. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I, I don't want to be a downer, but I, I want to be. I want to be a realist this morning, because again, uh, the 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 point is pain is guaranteed for everyone who's alive today. If you've not experienced pain, hang on because it's coming. Pain is universal. It's the experience of all mankind. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe maybe you've just found yourself. Maybe right now you're in the furnace of affliction. Maybe right now you're going through some really, really tough things and, and you wonder if you're going to survive, if you're going to get through. Maybe you've just come out of something. And maybe you're not in any one of those categories. Maybe you're about to go into something. This is for you. Going through tough times always brings us to a few questions. Number one, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, if God is compassionate, then why is there so much pain and suffering? The next question is this. What did I do to deserve this kind of treatment? Have you ever asked that? I'll be honest with you, and, and this is tough for me. You know, because preachers are supposed to be somehow immune to hurt. Some of you remember 11 years ago when my wife had her stroke, it was one of those things that was all of a sudden. My, my, my last picture of my helpmeet, who was whole and well was on January the 2nd, 2012. I left for the, an appointment I had with uh with some people in burleson she was standing at the kitchen counter that's the last time i've ever seen my wife stand erect with both hands functioning and her legs functioning last time when she had that stroke and uh, went into the hospital and it was a, for the next few months was a series of of hospitals and rehabs and and uh, live, assisted nursing skilled nurse, whatever they call those things it was it was back and forth back and forth all of those things and i remember the board uh, approached me and they said pastor we know that you're going through some really tough things and we think you need to take a sabbatical and deal with your wife and my answer to them and there's nothing wrong with it and i appreciate the compassion but my answer to them was no i i don't want to do that i'm not going to take a sabbatical i'm not going to take some time off to 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 be with my wife i said the church needs to see me hurt They need to see me work through these things that I can't explain and don't understand. And some of you can remember back that first Sunday I walked down. I walked down the aisle of this church with tears streaming down my eyes because my wife laid up in a hospital bed. And from that time on, you would think, okay, he's gotten used to it and you don't get used to that. There have been times when I've gone to the Lord and, you know, think last year when I had some issues with my back and I don't, I I can't take a day off with my wife. And again, I'm not here to, to, I'm just telling you, I know what this is all about because I've asked these questions. I don't have a time off if I'm hurting, but she needs me. I still have to do it. There are times when I hurt so bad and pain would be shooting all through my body. I'd strap on a, a weight belt I'd grit my teeth and I would transfer her, move her, however, because she couldn't help that she couldn't do anything, but I'm her caregiver and I would do all that I could to help my wife. But on the inside, I would be screaming, God, what did I do? What did I do? Where did I mess up? For you to allow this to happen. And then I would say something like this. God, I'd never do that to my boy. I'd never do that to my son, God. The scripture says, if you be an evil, know how to give good things and do good things to your children, how much more does your heavenly father delight in giving good things to your, his children? And I would say, God, I'd never do that to my boy. Why are you doing it to me? I'm just giving you honest confession because, you know what, when bad things happen, we, don't under, we can't explain it. We don't understand it. God, why do you allow us to hurt like this? We struggle, and the thing is, we struggle because it goes against our sense of what is fair and what is not fair. We tend to reason. You know, and yesterday was one of those days, so I'm a little bit more emotional because yesterday, my wife, my wife couldn't even stand up yesterday had no strength in her body to even stand erect. And we struggle with that. And we have this sense of fairness, and and it goes something like this. If I choose to follow Jesus, then he ought to make everything okay. That I shouldn't have another pain, and I shouldn't have more discomfort, and I shouldn't go through the trials of affliction. I shouldn't have any of that. That's my sense of fairness. Psalm 73 is a great psalm that talks about that very thing, how a guy struggled so much because he couldn't understand and reconcile in his mind because he's thinking that if I serve God, God's going to take care of me and all, and all of those things. And he said, you know what? I'm looking and I'm serving, but there are people that are doing much better than me that don't even serve God, don't even acknowledge God. And he said, you know what? It was almost too much for me. Almost too much for me. See, we struggle with that. We reason, again, that we would never treat our loved ones that way. In fact, most of us would go out of our way to do everything we could to prevent them from suffering. You know, here's the thing the Bible does not run away from questions like that. In our text this morning, the psalmist David asked why. Very blunt. Again, some people may be put off, but I would be so, so brash to say that to God. But you know what? I'm hurting. I think God's big enough and he understands human nature enough that he's okay with it. I think he's okay with it. The psalmist David asked, he said, why? Oh, Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you ever called out to God in the midst of a trial, a fiery furnace, and you think, God, where are you? Have I served you in vain? Have I committed myself to you for naught? Habakkuk even gets in on it. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? You ever been there? How long am I going to call out to you and and it seems like the heavens are brass and you're not even listening to me? Let me give you a a few things this morning about evil in our world. Number one, first thing I want you to know is that that moral evil has been unleashed. You need to understand that. God created Adam and Eve in his image. What does that mean? It means that God created them with the ability, okay, to make choices, rational choices. I hear people say all the time, well, you know what, if God is is like like you say, then why didn't God create a world where there was no tragedy and suffering? Why didn't he do that? Well, he did. He did. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. He did create a place where there was no suffering and there was no afflictions, but it didn't last very long. See, God did not create evil. Rather, he created the possibility of evil. We call that free will, free will. By choosing to disobey his standards and his word, ever since that day, every one of us has been born, we've been born with the same ability to make choices and with the same ability also to lean towards rebellion, Sometimes we suffer because of the sinful choices that we make. When sinful people make decisions, God allows the consequences of those to play out. We don't like it, but why should we blame God for decisions that we ourselves made? Number two, the earth is marred by sin. Again, you've got to understand that before Adam and Eve willfully chose to disobey God's Word, there were no tornadoes, earthquakes. Hurricanes, natural disasters, or diseases. But when sin came into creation, it was cursed. And genetic disorders and diseases were unleashed to do their work of destruction. Pain and death became part of the human experience. Their sin, their sin resulted in personal guilt and shame, alienation from God and others, and the disruption of nature. That's why Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 8, he says, Right now, for we know that the whole creation, all the creation, is groaning together in pains of childbirth up until now. What is it groaning about? Because it was marred with sin. It was cursed. We live in a world today that's under a curse because of sin. The entire globe is groaning for that day of what? Redemption. Why doesn't God do something? He did. He did. He's already promised a time when he would make all things beautiful and new. It was all set in motion because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Number three, Satan influences people to do evil. Again, I, I think we get really, really, oftentimes we give him way too much credit by telling, well, the devil made me do it. No, anyway, I don't want to go there. But, but the truth is, Satan is ultimately behind hatred, hatred, war evil in our world you know he sometimes he he what he does is he inflames our passions he prompts us to make bad choices i mean how else do you explain a parent killing their child how else would you explain someone walking into a school campus and killing children it's evil jesus even speaking of of lucifer said in john chapter 8 said he was a murderer from the beginning And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. Number four, God works his plan and purposes through our suffering. This is a hard pill to swallow right here. Did you hear what I said? God works his plans and purposes through our suffering. Again, that's hard. (laughs) But here's the truth. God is good even when bad things happen. If you can grab hold of that truth, it will help insulate you when bad things come. But God is good even when bad things happen. Some of, listen, some of God's reasoning for allowing these things to happen in our life, they're, they're beyond our capacity to even understand. We say, God, give me an explanation. God, If God gave us an explanation, would we understand it? That's why I said in Isaiah 55, For as the the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, there are some times when there are questions that we have no answers, and when you have questions that have no answers, the only solution is trust. That's the only solution is to trust. We have to surrender to the sovereignty of God because all things are under the rule of God and the reign of God. What does that mean? It means nothing happens to us in this world that is not caused by God or allowed by God. Nothing. Paul. That's why we sang it earlier. That's why Paul said in Romans 8 and 28, and we know. See, I like that. See, the problem is we don't know. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Notice that. And we know that. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that the trials of affliction that you're going through right now have an ultimate purpose that you may not be able to see right now? He said, and we know all things work together for good. you got to anchor in that. You say, man, what good can come out of my my suffering? Well, the Bible gives us at least four things that can happen, good things that come out of suffering. You know know I'm allergic to one thing, right? Pain. Pain, you're good. You guys are good. (laughs) I don't like pain. But oftentimes it is through pain that God teaches and molds me to be better than I am now. I don't like it. Why can't I learn? Why can't I be molded when it's good? But that's another story. So the Bible gives us at least four things that are good that come out of bad things. Number one, hard times can stretch us. We call that growth. If you go work out, most people that know anything about uh, what do they call that? Kinesiology, physical fitness, things like that. You, your muscles cannot grow unless they are stretched. you got to break them down. Break down those fibers. You've got you to stretch them. you got to work them. you got to task them. Well, same thing with our faith. If we always go through life, okay, with no problems, and we cruise with, without any issues at all, you know what? We'll stay soft, and our character will never develop. That's why James writes in chapter 1, count it all, I'll be honest with you, I've never, I've never enjoyed this scripture. Because I've never counted any of my trials joyful. Anybody else? Anybody done it? Count it all joy, my brothers. When you, when you go through various trials of various kinds, for you know, there it is again, you know, do you know, do you know what? Do you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness? And if you hang on, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There it is. Do you know that? Do you know that that trial that you're going through right now will produce in you steadfastness that will lead to perfection and completeness? Well, no, it just hurts. I want out of it. Yeah, but hang on. Hard times stretch me. Number two, hard times equip me. Another reason that we go through difficulties, and, I, and I've always been a believer of this, in my 30 plus years of ministry, God, God has allowed me in my 57 years to have a lot of mileage on my 57 years. By the time I was 25 years of age, I had done more than you can even possibly imagine through, through, through just my life, my military service. All of the, I, I'd done, I've done a lot. And, and I'm not saying this because I really detest the been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I really do. But in my 30 years of pastoring here, I can't think of an instance where people have come by and said, hey, can, you, can we come talk to you, that I've not been able to relate to what they're going through. Why? Because God has equipped me through the things I've gone through. You see, God is masterful. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. He said, the God of all comfort." there you go, the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those in their afflictions with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. In other words, that, how many of you have ever had somebody come to you that, that, that needed your counsel or just needed an ear and they start talking to you and you think, whoa, hey, wait a minute, I've been through that. Let me share with you how God took me through that that deep, dark valley of life at that moment. Let me share with you. Again, you're not there bragging about what's gone on in your life. You're just saying, hey, let me comfort you with the same comfort I've been comforted with. It's an amazing thing how God works that out. Through this situation with my wife, I've been able to talk about grief. I've been able to talk about loss. I've been able to talk about marriage. I have people say, you stayed. You stayed. I'm like, well, okay, why wouldn't I stay? I, more often than you think. More often than you think, you stayed. Okay, I made a vow to my wife, and I meant what I said in sickness and in health till death do us part. I meant that. And I will keep my word. If, if, if God forbid, but she were to die tomorrow, no regrets, because I've been faithful to those vows as well as she. But I've been able to help people about commitment. Remember, commitment is not what keeps the marriage, excuse me, commitment is what keeps the marriage together. Love is the reward for commitment. Everybody said, well, I just don't love them anymore. won't commit to them. Because love is the reward for commitment. Anyway, I could preach on marriage, but I'm not. Number, number three, hard times can teach us. Do you know there are things that you learn going through the trials of affliction that you can't learn anywhere else? As hard as that is to hear, there are things that you learn in the valley of the shadow of death that you cannot learn anywhere else. Once uh, uh, again, Hebrews tells us, for he disciplines us for our good, that we, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Well, well duh. Not Pleasant. But then he goes on, and he says, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I learn. I learned that. Listen, when God delivered the children of Israel, and Moses used Moses and they let them out of the. The Bible says in Exodus that God led them the long way around. You know why? Because there were lessons they needed to learn. And they could not learn them in a land flowing with milk and honey, but they could learn them in a wilderness. We're all, see, in, in captivity, the Egyptians provided them with, water, with melons and leeks and onions and all of those things and the, the, the hay and the, the mud. The, the, the Egyptians provided that. But they needed to learn for themselves Jehovah-Jireh. Amen. They needed to learn. And they could not learn if they went straight from a, uh, the, the enemy providing all the way into the land flowing and milk and honey. They had to learn something. And the only place they could learn was through the wilderness. It's the same with us. Last thing, hard times can reach us. You know, sometimes I've heard people say God had to. Not, how many's ever heard this statement? God had to knock me flat before I could ever hear Him. Amen. C.S. Lewis said it like this: God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. And and, and he goes on, and says it is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It is His megaphone. It's how God shouts to us. God can get us. God can get our attention in hard times. Listen, I've known people that have gone to jail that will tell me it was the best thing ever happened to them because it was in the jailhouse that they had an encounter with Christ when they had no other distractions going on, they had an encounter with Christ and it changed their life forever. There was a movie years ago, I forget the guy's name, a wonderful, wonderful story called Twice Pardoned. And he... uh, he, went to prison for murder. And it goes through the story of how he had a jailhouse conversion and how he was pardoned, number one, through the legal system, pardoned, number two, because he turned to Christ. Hard times can reach us. And one of the greatest examples, I've got to hurry up, one of the greatest examples of all time for suffering is a fellow by the name of Job. Anybody ever heard of him? Job. You think about Job. Job lost everything, right? Job lost everything. He lost his possessions. He lost his family. He lost his health. He, he lost his, his friends. And when you look at the story of Job, Job's trust wavered. He mourned. He protested. He questioned. And here's the thing. He even cursed the day he was born. Have you ever heard that bad that you cursed the day you were born? Basically, you goes know, something like this. I wish I'd never been born. I, I wish, I'd never, I'd wish I'd never been born. That's what he was saying. Job got to that place where he wished he had never been born. He desperately wanted to know why all of these bad things were happening to him. And God answered him. But not in the way that Job expected. See, for 37 chapters, Job has been peppering God with questions and complaints. And dare I even say, accusations. 37 chapters, he's, he's, he was doing what I did. God, I'd never do this to my boy. Why are you making me suffer? What did I do? Why are you mad at me? See, I, I really feel like the Lord wants me to say this right now. Some of you need to forgive God so that you can find the joy again. You need to forgive God and trust him again. I don't know why it happened. I wish I could, I wish, listen, every day I live with, I don't know why it happens, but I have to trust. Job, Randy Alcorn, I love what Randy Alcorn writes about this story. He said, when I need adjustments to help me put affliction in proper perspective, he said, I often read the last five chapters of Job. He said, I've never read these chapters without feeling that God has been put in his proper place, and I've been put in mine, end quote. In chapters 38 and 39, Job comes face to face with the God of nature. And then in chapters 40 through 42, he encounters the nature of God. So let's look at that for the last few minutes here. Let's talk about the nature, uh, the God of nature. Job 38.1, okay, here's what God does. I love this story. Because again, for 37 chapters, he's been, he's been lamenting life, cursing the day he was born, just talking about how unfair. Really, the theme of Job is that life is unfair. Bad things happen. And so for 37 chapters, he's been just blowing his stack, just been running his mouth. Chapter 38, verse 1, I love what it says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Okay? So now all of a sudden, God's about to step in to this situation. Now you would think that after 37 chapters of lamenting how he, uh, he hated life, he hated what was going on, you would think that God would show up to him as a gentle, compassionate shepherd. to say, oh, son. It's going to be all right. You know, pat you on the back, kind of conjole you a little bit. You kind of think that's how God's going to show up. That ain't how he showed up. Not how he showed up. You would, you know, again, you you would think, oh, now it's going to be all right. How many of us like to, we like to feel like that? But God didn't come there to conjole him and make him Hey, there have been times where I've hurt so bad that I honestly have been looking for that God to come and just kind of, I want to sit at your feet, I want you to caress and, and, and just, just make it better. Sometimes God says, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Amen? I mean, sometimes that's where, it, just suck it up. Again, we get, we get offended by that. But what makes me think? Well, let me just, let me don't, I'm not going to steal some of the stuff here. So again, you would think God would show up as a gentle shepherd. He did not. So for 37 chapters, it's been Job expressing his feelings. Now God steps in and says, okay, it's my turn now. Chapter 38, verse 2 and 3 he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who? Wow. And then he says, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. (laughs) Yes, Lord. (laughs) I mean, Job has been taking pot shots at God for a long time, and the more he spoke, the worse things got. And and basically what he does, that phrase that he says, dress for action uh, like a man, basically what God is doing is challenging him to a wrestling match. The King James Version puts it like this. Gird up now thy loins like a man now that reference is taken directly from the ancient sport of belt wrestling kind of like sumo so what God was saying to Job is look for 37 chapters you've been telling me how unfair life is and how 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 frustrated you are with me now I'm telling you suit up buddy we're going to the mat (laughs) whoo yes Lord what does God do? God begins to take him through a course of, the, basically a crash course in theology 101. Again, I wish we had time. And I would encourage you, if you're going through something, read, read Job 38 and the rest of those five chapters. Verses four and five, he said, where were you, this is God, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. I mean, you've been running in your mouth for 37 chapters. Surely you got it figured out. That was, that's not in there. That's my, that's my commentary. <laughs> or who stretched out the line? Who did that? He's basically saying, Job, I'm God. I'm eternal. You just showed up on the scene recently. That's what he's saying. And he goes on, verse 31. I mean, he's not done. He said, can you bind, can you bind the chains of the Philites or loose the cords of Orion? Again, he's talking about astronomy now. Okay, you're so smart, Job. They tell us that there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and there's a possibility of 130 billion galaxies in the universe. If Job cannot move or rearrange the stars, right? That's kind of the point. Well, if he can't do that, then maybe maybe he can make it rain. Verses 34 and 35, he said, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning? Picture that in your mind. Chapter 39, God turns to the animal kingdom. He said, do do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Sixty different questions God asked Job. Sixty different questions. After each question, if you listen to what's between the lines, you almost hear Job say, okay, I pass. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. The point is, if Job cannot answer one of the 60 questions that God asked him, there's no way he can understand the 60 million other intricacies of God's plans and purposes. See, what God was trying to get Job to understand is that God is sovereign and wise. Chapter 40, verse 2 says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. If you're smart enough, if you feel like you're smart enough, then start telling me how all this stuff works. And Job is dumbfounded. I mean, you can, God pauses and said, okay, I'm going to wait, answer me. And I love what Job says in chapter 40, verses four and five. (laughs) Here's what he said. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I'm a little bitty thing. How can I answer you? And then he goes on like this I love this. He said, I lay my hand on my mouth. 37 chapters, he's been bumping his gums. God says, Okay, hold on, buddy. Let me start. And he goes, <laughs> That's what he does. I lay my hand on my mouth. He said, I have spoken once and I will not answer, twice, but I will proceed no further. In other words, he's like, I'm done. What well, the funny thing is, God's not. Because now he gets to find out the nature of God. So God, once again, in chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, he says, dress, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. So God's like, okay, this is round two. I've questioned you and you've not passed the test. So I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to go to the second round. So again, he puts on the belt, says, let's go to the mat. Let's start struggling about, over this stuff. So, so here's what, here's what i got to bring this in for a landing. God gets to the heart of what's going on with Job, okay? And this had to hurt Job. Here's what he asked. He said, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? You know what God is asking him? He's saying, if you can't answer those questions that I ask you, how can you put me in the wrong? How can you blame me and fault me? For things that you can't even understand. Some of us blame God for things that God had nothing to do with. We are a product of the choices that we make. I am who I am today, largely by the stuff that I've decided in the past. Who am I to blame God? Who am I to blame God? That's what Job was doing. He said, look, will you even put me in the wrong I, I, sometimes I feel so ashamed to even admit that I talked talk to God like that, but I, I'm human just like everybody else. We hurt, and we don't understand, and we get frustrated. I can, I can relate to Job. He lost way more than I did, but I, I'm just saying, when I hurt, and I don't understand, I, 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 God, where are you? My prayer is, what's the deal? See, Job's initial reaction to loss in the very beginning when you read it was one of submissive, submissive worship. I want you to watch this. So when Job, in the very beginning, starts losing everything you know, that he does, it's submissive worship. It's like, well, God's good. You know, it's, it's kind of, I hate to say it like this, but it's kind of pie in the sky, you know, and he's had a, a submissive worship. But here's the thing. The longer his misery lasted, the more he wavered and his trust eroded. It happens to us just like that. We, we go through a rough patch, we say the pious thing, but God, and we trust God, and uh, God's going to bring me through, but the longer, watch me, the longer that that compounds, the longer that misery is added, the more we begin to waver, and we start questioning God. That's what happened to Job. God asks him more questions. He goes to to referring to the behemoth, chapter 40. He said, can you even take him by the eyes, pierce his nose with a snare? Then he goes to the Leviathan. He talks about the Leviathan in chapter 41. He said, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Again, the point being, if no one can control what God has created, then how in the world can you control the Creator? And here it is, I'm going to bring this down. Here's what Job says in chapter 42 verses 2 and 3. He said, "I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know." So Job doesn't get all of his questions. In fact, he doesn't get any of his questions answered. Okay? He's asking God why, and God's not giving him a reason why. Didn't doesn't get any of his questions answered. And, and Job, again, I want you to hear this. Job finally breaks down, and, and everything hinges on this, what I'm about to tell you. This verse here, chapters 42, verses 5 and 6, everything hinges on this. Here's what he says. He said, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So get the picture. Job heard about God. He accumulated knowledge about God. God is good. God is great. All of those wonderful things. He goes through tough times. He has a crisis. He begins to question God. So God shows up on the scene, and now Job has a revelation of God. He said, now, I used to hear about you, but now I see you. Doesn't answer his questions, but now focuses on him. See, when we go through tough times, we focus again on that when we should be focusing on that. We focus on the immediate relief. Hey, we get a headache, what do we do? We take an aspirin. Right? We get an infection, we take an antibiotic. We want immediate relief. You know, I go, if I go to the doctor, which fortunately, thank the Lord, has been kind of rare, if I go, I say, give me a shot. Well, we don't do that much anymore. Yeah, but do it on me. I, I, want, I, I, want, the, I want the medicine in me now. I want it working now. <laughs> Places to go, things to do, people to see, get it to me now. Give me two or three of them if you have to. That's my, that's my, that's my desire. I want to get out of the immediate th- situation. He said, I heard about you, but now I see you. What was it that caused him to go from a trivial understanding of who God is to have a relationship to who God, to with God? It was the pain. It was the suffering that he went through that got him to move from a fringe relationship of knowledge without knowing you see that he went from uh, having information to having a relationship and it took the pain to do that it's not it's not pleasant and and I love this because Job repented that means he changed his mind he changed directions and he started trusting God again I'm going to I'm Wrap this up because you need to understand God not only has great might, but God is always right. He's always right. Job repented of think, repented of thinking that he had a right to judge judge God, which he did not, and neither do I. Yeah, sometimes I get all up in my fields, and I, I, I you know, I'm struggling with Sheila, and I'm struggling with issues health issues and and I get up in my fields and I say, God, I don't understand why am I why you got me in your crosshairs. I one time honest disclosure, I one time said, God, I do make a pretty good court gesture, don't I? You understand what I'm saying? I some of you are like, you said that to God? And there was no lightning bolt. <laughs> I have. I've said, God, it's me, the court jester, again. Y'all having fun at my expense? I'm just being truthful. Because when you hurt and you don't understand, like, okay, go ahead and laugh. Mike's suffering again. That's words without knowledge. Exactly what Job did. Ultimately, the only answer that God gave to Job, listen, was himself. How do I go, personally, how do I get through those moments? I go back to what I know, who I know, actually. I'm caught up in his presence. I sit at his feet because nothing else will do. There's no one that can explain it. No doctor can tell me why. They, they can come up with their reasonings and they can do all this stuff. That not one of them can tell me why it happened to her on January 2nd, 2012. So what, how, do I, how do I go through all of that stuff? How do I, I, I throw it all out there and then I crawl up in his presence and I sit at his feet. Because nothing else will do. See, that's all that God gave him. Was his answer was himself. You see, the main point of the book of Job, as I already said, is that life is unfair and bad things do happen. So the question really is not, where is God when it hurts? The question is, where am I when it hurts? Where am I when it hurts? See, the most important battles of life take place not out here, they take place inside of me. Where are you when it hurts? Most of us today, most people in church, they run from the church. God created the church to be one of those places that you run to when you're hurting. That's why I said we're to weep with those who weep and we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to come in and lock arms together because life is tough. I need you and you need me. We need to stand together in the trenches. I'm looking for men and women that will be in the trenches with me that will, have, that will get in the foxhole that will have my six. And you need the same thing. Why don't we run from what God created to be what we run to? The real question was not job. Guys, guys, come on back as I wrap this up. The real question is not job's suffering, but whether or not he was going to trust the sovereignty of God. And that's our question, too. See, God basically challenged Job to the only thing that Job could, could control. And you know what? The only thing he could control was his response. Did you get that? The only thing that he could control, and it's the same thing for us, is our response. It's not what happens to me. It's how I respond. Sometimes I fall flat on my face with the response. And sometimes I do all right. I'm glad that God's got a big heart and he's long-suffering. Because if I'd been God the first time I'd run my mouth like I did... I'm glad, I'm glad I could stand here and be honest with you. I had a meltdown yesterday. I, just, I cried, and I'm like, God, I don't understand. I mean, she can't even stand up on her own two feet. Again, I'm not saying that for, for any type of sympathy or awe poor him. Not at all. It ain't been too many years for that. Amen. I'm just simply saying, I understand. I hurt too. But I got a great big God i got a great big God. You should have been in early service. Well, no, this is fine. I'm, in early service, I, I hadn't seen the worship order other than that, nothing else. We start singing about, he makes all things. Man, I'm ugly crying. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was just like words that brought healing to my, to my wounds. Because yeah. nothing else will do. He's all, he's all, you know, we used to sing that. He's all I need. And it's true. Blaming God got him nowhere gets us nowhere. So let me just close with this statement. We can either hurt with God or we can hurt without God. That's our choice. I can either hurt with God or I can hurt without God. I get to choose. So where are you, where are you when it hurts? I want us to close in prayer, altar time. Stand with me, please. I said out of obedience. I, I don't normally do this, you know, from a Wednesday night to now. I don't normally do that, but I'm, out, I'm doing it out of obedience. Because I believe there's some people here today that you need to forgive God for things that you don't understand. And, and I will tell you, the devil will exploit that more than you can even anticipate. Well, look there. He must like him better than you because he didn't do any of that to him. Hey, I've been through every one of those. <laughs> How many's ever said, hey, You must be my mom. you must be the favorite kid of the house. Maybe you're sitting here thinking somebody else is the favorite kid because you don't get that preferential treatment. Again, that's words without knowledge, without understanding. And I really feel like the Lord just told me that if you would. If you would forgive him, you will find the joy that you've been losing, that you've not had in a long time. If you'll forgive him for the troubles of your life, you can find joy again. You can find peace. Doesn't answer the questions why, it just goes back to what Proverbs 3:5 and 6 says: Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps so now my prayer is like this this is my prayer God help me today with a lot that I've been given in this life help me to handle it honorably that reflects well on you so that if I'm pushing my wife in a wheelchair or whatever I'm doing if somebody sees me and says hey tell tell me where you get that strength from I can say nothing else but him that's my prayer Give me the grace to handle daily what I could not otherwise handle. So as I sing this morning, I'm just going to open the altars like this. If you're here today and you're hurting, and this has somehow made sense to you and helped you, maybe there's some things that have happened that you've not been able to reconcile and process. <coughs> maybe like Job. Job just repented. God, I'm sorry. I spoke without understanding. Help me trust you. Help me trust him. Maybe you're here today and you need to forgive God. I know it sounds kind of ridiculous. You come and go through the motions, but it doesn't mean anything because you need to forgive God. You got something on the inside that's holding you back because if you strip it all away, there's hurt there that's unresolved. So if you find that this morning, you need, and plus, thirdly, if you need anything in prayer, please join us. But while they sing, would you come this morning? This is for you. I'm doing it out of obedience today because I feel like somebody needs to let it go so God can heal them.
1: Lord, every dream and all I've hoped for
0: Come on, this is for you this morning. You need prayer today. Come on. You need to let some things go. Come on. In
1: faith, they're not forgotten, in spite of what I feel or what I see. And oh, oh I'm choosing to believe. Oh, oh, oh you were enough for me I'm confident of this that I will see your goodness In the land of the living In the land of the living one thing will never change My hope is in your name. Because you were living, because you are living, you are creator and redeemer, you take and sing my praise. you were living Cause you don't lie to me, you don't lie to me. You never made a promise you couldn't keep, cause you don't lie to me, no. In the land of the living, one thing will never change. My hope is in your name. Because you were living, because you were living, I'm confident of this, that I will see your goodness. In the land of the living, in the land of the living. Never living one thing will never change My hope is in your name because you are living because you are living
0: amen My hope is in your name because you are living. That's it right there. We used to sing that song because he lives. I can face tomorrow as we close this morning please understand that God's grace is sufficient if you've been wounded get get, get past that work through that get back to the place like Job did where you trust God you trust his plans his purposes, his timing because God's got his you are the apple of his eye, he's got the best for you I believe that with every fiber of my being Father, today I thank you. Lord, I've been obedient to do what you've asked me to do. Lord, I pray that your words have gone forth that find fertile soil to grow. Lord, we directly stand in opposition to the lies of the enemy that would try to convince us that somehow there's something wrong with us when bad things happen, that somehow we've made you angry and that you're punishing us because of it. Lord, we stand against that right now. We understand and we trust you. As we walk out of here today, Father, may we walk out anchored in who you are and that we trust you emphatically and know that all things will work together for our good. Lord, may we release the hurt, the offense. May we embrace that relationship again, just like Job did. We've heard about you. Now may we see you and experience all that you have from that relationship. Go with us today. Give us a great day celebrating your victories. Bring us again the next time, should you, tarry. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for being with us online. I'll see you next time. God bless you and I love you very much. You never
1: made a promise you couldn't keep. Cause you don't lie to me You don't lie to me You never made a promise You couldn't keep Cause you don't lie to me You don't lie to me you never made a promise You couldn't keep  ¶ Cause you don't lie to me ¶ You don't lie to me ¶¶¶ You never made a promise ¶ You couldn't keep ¶ Cause you don't lie to me ¶ You don't lie to me ¶ You never made a promise ¶ You couldn't keep ¶ Cause you don't lie to me You never made a promise promise you couldn't keep, cause you don't lie to me.